0: Again, Thank you, James, for reading the uh, passage for us. We're going to dig into that passage. Uh, before we do, though, I just want to start with a bit of a story. When I was in high school, there was this teacher. Now, let's just say he was a science teacher. Uh, let's just say his name was Ted. But you see, this teacher, Ted, he was such a stickler for rules. Now, he used to, he used to patrol the, the science corridor. He used to wear a suit. He'd patrol the science corridor literally with a cane up his sleeve, looking for rule breakers to bust and then to punish. Now, the the safety rules at our school were actually pretty simple. Things like, you know, no running in the corridors, uh, no leaving your bags in the corridors for people to trip over. The uniform rule in our school was pretty simple. You know, you had to wear it and it had to be neat and tidy. But, yeah, they were good simple rules. But Ted, Ted, he was... He was so into the rules and he, like, he was so passionate about the rules that he came up with even more rules to help define the rules that were already there. Okay, things like in his corridor you could not only not run uh, but you had to walk and at a certain pace and only on a certain side of the corridor. In his corridor you could not only put your bags down, you couldn't even carry your bag, uh, that's what lockers were for, you could only carry books, in his corridor, you not only had to wear your school uniform, um, but you know, your socks had to be a certain length, your shorts had to be a certain brand, your shirt had to be tucked in all the way around, uh, your top button had to be done right up, your tie had to be pushed right up, and your hair couldn't be longer than a certain length, and you couldn't have facial hair. I never had to worry about that one. But you know, he was so into it. And Ted, he would roam the corridor and with his cane kind of up his sleeve looking for, for rule breakers, and if he caught one, punishment to the fingers was, was really swift. Now, as I, yeah, that was Ted. Now, I wonder, have you ever known anyone like Ted? You ever know anyone like Ted? Maybe a teacher, maybe a classmate, maybe a boss or a workmate, maybe a, a coach or a teammate, maybe a neighbour, maybe a minister, maybe a small group leader. Maybe a group of people, maybe a body corporate or a council or a government, a TED. A TED who's really into keeping, making and enforcing rules. Now, it's not really all that pleasant to be around a TED, is it? You know, it's not very relaxing. It's certainly not restful trying to relate to or to please a TED. And here's the thing. A lot of people actually think that God is a Ted. You know, that God is just all about rules and that the only way to please God is through religious rule keeping. Now, thankfully, thankfully, today's passage shows that Scripture dispels, smashes that view. Because you see, here we've got Jesus. Jesus is breaking the rules of the religious Ted's. Okay, he's feasting, not fasting. He's doing various stuff on the Sabbath and in the process, he's teaching us some important things about himself and about us, okay, about how we can relate to and rest in God free from like the endless work of religious rule keeping. Now, there's three scenes in this section and what ties all of these three scenes together is the wrong rules of the religious TEDs. And so I want us to open up our Bibles. Just grab your Bible out. Uh, James, I think, said it was 1020, page 1020, or, or flick open to your app. Luke 5 from verse 33. We're just going to take it one scene at a time. So scene one. A banquet at Levi's house. Now, here we've got Jesus eating with a large crowd of tax collectors and others, and there's these religious teds there too looking on. Okay? Now, they've already complained about Jesus eating uh, with the tax collectors and sinners, I mean. So the company that he's with, they've complained about that. Now they complain about him eating at all. Look with me, verse 33. They say, John's disciples often fast and pray. And so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours go on eating and drinking. Now, to understand their complaint, you've actually got to understand their new rules. Because you see... It seems the Old Testament only actually commanded fasting one day a year, okay, on the Day of Atonement. Yes, there were four or five other kind of annual fasts that were observed, but otherwise in the Old Testament, people chose to fast. You know, maybe they were grieving. Maybe they were repentant when they fasted, but rarely were they actually commanded to fast. But the religious TEDs, what did they done? Well, they showed up and because they loved making and enforcing new rules... They started fasting twice a week, okay, Mondays and Thursday, and they started to enforce this new rule on everybody else. But Jesus and his disciples, they weren't fasting. They were feasting. So the Teds, you know, with the, the big stick up their sleeve, they, got to, they pull him up and they question him and they say, "Yeah, why are your disciples walking on the wrong side of the corridor? In other words, they didn't say that they said why are your disciples feasting and not fasting well jesus answers jesus answers but he answers with a question and he says in verse 34 he says look can you make the guests of the bridegroom fast while he's with them in other words he's saying look i'm the bridegroom i'm the bridegroom and i'm here it's time to feast not fast he says, the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken away. What's he referring to there? His death and his burial. And he says, in those days they will fast, but not now. Not now I'm here, I'm with you. Now's not the time to fast, and certainly not according to some religious Ted's new rules. And then Jesus tells them these two little parables. And you've probably heard these parables lots of times. I'm sure you have, a lot of you. But We're going to have a dig into them. Verse 36. He says, no one tears a patch from a new garment and sews it on an old one. If he does, he'll have have torn the new garment and the patch from the new won't even match the old. And then he says, no one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins, the wine will run out and the skins will be ruined. He says, no, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. Now, You know, we've heard it lots of times. What's he talking about? Who's the new? Who's the old? Is Jesus the new patch, the new wine? You know, is Jesus saying, look, forget about the old rules, the old stuff, because now I'm here. Okay, I'm new, I'm contemporary, and I can't be stuck on your old religion. You know, I can't be poured into your old structures because I'll only spoil and burst them. Is that what he's saying? because it kind of resonates that view doesn't it It resonates i mean our culture we're, we're so wired in our culture to think that you know news better and old's just inferior we're often thinking that plus lots of commentators actually think that's what jesus means but is it what jesus means what if it's actually the other way around what if the Pharisees are the new patch, the new wine? What if, what if by turning up with their new rules, you know, thinking they're trying to improve things, they're the ones actually kind of wrecking and bursting and splitting and spoiling things? I actually think this is what Jesus means here. Why? Because one, Jesus isn't doing a new thing. Jesus came to fulfil old promises. Two, it's the Pharisees who brought these kind of new rules that don't fit the old laws and three as jesus says in verse 39 what does he say he says no one after drinking old wine wants the new he says the old is better okay old wine is better now i'm not a big wine drinker i know some of you are (laughs) not big but you know you like your wine (laughs) i don't know anyone out there that's a big drinker right (laughs) But if you appreciate wine, you know that old is better. You know it's a it's a it's a well-worn principle. And so the application here, well, what is it? It's that it's that those who've already like experienced and understood the old, okay, in in that context of what Jesus is talking about the Old Testament, those people, those who've also kind of tested and tasted the new. In other words, you know the the new TED rules and traditions those people, they can discern that the old is better. The old is better. Don't go chasing after new stuff that don't fit. Okay, now the second scene in the fields. Luke 6, look look at verse 1. One Sabbath. Jesus is going through the grain fields and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain, rub them in their hands and then eat the kernels. But the Teds are there. Then they complain, the Pharisees complain, why are you doing what's unlawful on the Sabbath? Big stick up the sleeve. Now again, kind of to understand their complaint, we've got to understand their new rules. Because you see, the law about the Sabbath, God's law about the Sabbath was actually very clear. Okay, you weren't to do any work, okay, which included harvesting on the Sabbath. You were just to have a day off. The religious Teds, though, what had they done? They'd come along and they'd made up 39 new rules about what was and wasn't work. Okay, they'd come up with a job description for your day off. Man, what does following a job description sound like to you? Someone call it out. Work, okay? So they had a job description for your day off. They wanted you to work according to their rules, okay, to walk through the field and actually pluck a bit of grain and then to get that grain and, and just simply rub it in your hands before eating it. They, they, they said, that's threshing. That's work. That's work. Now, I wonder, does that kind of seem just crazy to you? Does that seem like another world to you? Well, it's not. It's not really another world. Oh, did you know that some Sydney councils, have actually installed these high-tech sensors at traffic lights to be able to detect if somebody's there. Do you know that? And Do you know why they've done that? So that Jewish people who live nearby, they don't actually have to kind of lift the hand and press the button on the Sabbath. Why? Because to do that is work. Now, do you reckon these are the kinds of things that God actually meant by work you reckon you see it seems to me clearly these new rules of the religious teds they just didn't reflect the intent or the purpose of god's law in scripture okay so given that how would you expect jesus to answer their question you know how would you i would expect him to say guys are you out of your heads that just isn't work it's not work you know you've just added new rules that don't fit they only split the old ones but jesus doesn't answer like that he actually goes a lot deeper and he does that by reminding them of a story from the old testament and he does that to try to get them seeing beyond like the letter of the law to the actual purpose or intent of the law now look at the story he tells me he says from verse three he says look You guys, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what's lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Now, the Pharisees, they knew this story all right. They knew it well. They just hadn't understood it. It's from 1 Samuel 21. Remember last year we did... 1 Samuel, and in 1 Samuel 21, David and his men, like they're, they're on the run. They're fleeing from Saul. who Saul's trying to kill them. They're fleeing for their lives. They're hungry. They're starving. They're looking for food. And so David goes to Tabernacle and he says to the priest, "You got any food? And the priest is like, well, no, I don't. I don't have any ordinary food, but I've just got this consecrated bread from the table of the Lord. Okay, bread that kind of signified God's presence with and provision for his people bread that only the priests were allowed to eat after it had been taken from the table and replaced but david and his men okay they were there they were holy and they were hungry so what does the priest do he gives them the bread now the question to ask ourselves is well did david his men or the priest sin by doing that did they because you see, technically they breached Leviticus 24. They had breached Leviticus 24, but had they violated the intent or the purpose of the law? Had they? Clearly they hadn't. Clearly. And Jesus says to these religious rule makers, don't you remember that story? He's saying what they did there was okay with God, it was okay. They didn't sin. And so he's saying to them, look, you guys, before you start kind of accusing and, you know, citing rules, make sure you've actually understood the Bible in the first place. Make sure you've understood it rightly because there's a difference between the letter of the law and the purpose or intent of the law. And the rule about the bread, well, you know, that that rule about the bread, it wasn't designed so that hungry people would come in and starve while the bread just kind of sat there. Like any other rule, it was designed for good, not evil. To save life, not destroy life. And I just wonder, I'm a lawyer and I kind of understand this stuff. I I hope you're you're with me. But can you see how there's other things at play than just simply reading the the literal kind of interpretation of the law? The literal reading. There's other things at play. And I'll just give you a modern example to help you just to drill this down. Imagine... Imagine you're down at the beach. You're down at Manly Beach, okay? And imagine uh, there's a huge sign on the beach and it says, no swimming. And you're walking along the beach, but there's somebody out there swimming and they're starting to drown. And they've got their hand up. There's nobody around, but you see them. What do you do? What do you do? Do you go, you know... I'd like to help. I I think I should help, but but I can't help. The sign. No swimming. I've got to keep the rules. Is that what you do? Or do you look beyond the literal kind of reading of that rule to the intent or the purpose of the law? I mean, it's obvious, isn't it? Was the no swimming sign there in the first place? Why is it there? It's to, to do good. It's there to save. Do you get the point of the David story? Okay. Jesus then goes on to make an even bigger point, okay? A far bigger and even more important point. Verse 5, he says to them, Jesus said, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Okay? Jesus calls himself the Son of Man. And it's a title they would have known well, okay, from Daniel 7. It's a title that had both Messianic and divine implications, See, you see, the religious TEDs, their biggest problem, their biggest issue, it's not just that they haven't understood the David story. Okay, their biggest issue was that they hadn't understood Jesus. They hadn't understood Jesus. Okay, the divine Messiah, the Lord Himself, you know, the Lord of the Sabbath. The one who was there in Genesis 2 when the Sabbath was created. The one who was there in Exodus 20 when the Sabbath was written into the law. The one who is the Lord. You see, Jesus isn't saying in this passage, Jesus isn't up there saying, look, I'm the king. Take a seat, guys. Jesus ain't up there saying, I'm the king and I'll do as I please. I'll break whatever law I like. Jesus isn't saying that. Jesus is saying, I'm the Lord. You know, I'm the Lord of everything, including the Sabbath, which was actually my idea in the first place. And so he's saying, don't argue with me. Don't argue with me. Listen to me. Because you see, I'll tell you the meaning and the application of the Sabbath or of any other law for that matter because I know what it's for. I am the Lord of the Sabbath. Now, I am the Lord. That is a massive claim. That is a huge claim. It doesn't, you don't get any bigger than to claim that you are God. And yet, it's, not, it's no surprise Jesus makes this kind of claim. He's into these kinds of massive claims. The thing is, he never makes a claim that he doesn't back up. And that brings us to scene three in the synagogue. Now, don't worry. This is, I'm going to deal with this pretty quickly. Uh, but let's keep going. Verse 6 on another sabbath he jesus he was in the synagogue and he was teaching and a man was there whose right hand was shriveled the pharisees and the teachers of the law they were looking for a reason to accuse jesus okay big stick up the sleeve and so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the sabbath now again the old testament didn't say you couldn't heal on the sabbath but again, the religious Teds, they'd come along, they'd made up a new rule that you could only heal on the Sabbath if it's life-threatening. Okay? Any other healing, any other, anything else is work. Now, I reckon they'd probably planted this guy with the shriveled hand in the congregation there to see what Jesus would do, to see if he would break their rule. So what happens? Well, from verse 8, Jesus knew what they were thinking. And he said to the man with the shriveled hand, get up and stand in front of everyone. So the man stands up and then Jesus said to them, and I like the way James read this when he did the Bible reading because this is a key moment. Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save life or to destroy it? Now, based on what I said in the last scene, do you you now understand a bit more about what he's saying here? Don't just read the law. Look to the intent or the purpose of the law. And I reckon by this point, Jesus is massively ticked off. I mean, how could they honestly think the law is there to prevent someone from doing good, to prevent someone from helping people? And so verse 10, and this is where James got it, he looked around at them all. Jesus stood there and he just looked at all of them. And I reckon as he did that, there would have been this really long, uncomfortable silence. And then he said to them, or he said to the man, I should say, he said, stretch out your hand. The man did so and his hand was completely restored. I mean, how how incredible is that? Jesus just kind of instantly, as we see throughout the Gospels, he just instantly heals this person. Shriveled hand, stretch out your hand, and he does. I mean, as incredible as that is, do the Pharisees who see what's happened, do they finally at long last get it? You know, do the Pharisees at this point at least, start rejoicing and saying, you know, he's right. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. He's backed up his claims. He is who he says he is. Is that what they do? No. Why? Because verse 11, they were furious. They began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. They began to actually plot how they might kill him. I mean, this is, kind of, this is unbelievable stuff, isn't it? Jesus has just done this amazing miracle and they now plot to kill him. I mean, this is religious kind of legalistic hypocrisy on steroids. These guys, they're, they're, really happy, they're really happy for you not to heal on the Sabbath. But what they are really not that worried about is plotting to kill on the Sabbath. You see? But here's the thing. As much as we might shake our heads at these guys, as much as we might kind of just think, these guys are unbelievable. We've got to be really careful not to judge and to criticize the Pharisees too wholeheartedly. It's easy to do that, to read this story and just write them off. Because you see, if we're honest with ourselves, and I know it's hard to be honest with ourselves, but when we truly are honest with ourselves, we're not really all that different from these religious Teds, are we? You know? Just think about it. Is the natural tendency of your heart to kind of to do, to try to do, to, to try to reach God by your own merit, is the natural tendency of your heart towards religious legalism? Mine is for sure. It's the default position of every human heart. And with that in mind, you see, we've got to ask ourselves, on what basis am I relating to God? Ask yourself, you know, am I relating to God on the basis of my performance or on the basis of His grace? Am I relating to God on the basis of my endless work you know? Or am I relating to God on the basis of Jesus' finished work? How am I relating to God? And you see, the Sabbath day, some Christians argue about the Sabbath day. You know what? The Sabbath day is not just about taking a day off work, it's not just about resting on the seventh day because that's what our Creator did. The Sabbath day is always also intended. To point us forward. To point us forward to the the purpose and to the end of creation. Okay? To the true rest and to the true rest giver. You see, what did Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath, say in another place? Jesus said, He said, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. That true rest, you know, that 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 true rest that, that deep down all of us seek. It's found in him. And you know, if we're honest, in a group this size, I reckon if, if we're honest, many of us here don't truly have that aren't really experiencing that that rest you know that peace that joy you know maybe deep down you're weary and burdened maybe because of the way you've been approaching god maybe you've been thinking you know god is like a ted that he's never happy with me that he only cares about the rules and that it's just really hard work trying to please god Maybe you've been thinking that. You know, maybe right now you are really tired. Maybe you know that you know, your next day off, your next holiday, it's not going to give you the rest for your soul that, that you really crave. And I'm sure that's a lot of us. And if that's you, let me just remind you, there's only one place to go. And you know where it is. It's to Jesus, you know, the one who has already obeyed and fulfilled all of God's rules for us. The one who's already taken, received God's punishment on our behalf for all the times we disobeyed God's rules. The one who, who now offers us rest. Rest. True and lasting Rest free from the work of trying to please God through religious rule-keeping, freely forgiven through Jesus and His work for us. And so I just want to finish by saying, look, wherever you're at, wherever you're at, repent of religious rule-keeping and simply come to Jesus and rest, depend Trust in Him and He will give you rest. Let's finish with a word of prayer. Our gracious and loving Father, we we do thank You, Lord, that despite ourselves, despite our our, our heart's natural default into seeking to, to do and to... Um, put in place rules that we think that we can kind of stand on to, to reach out to you Lord we just we pray that you'd forgive us for that and Father we pray that you'd help us to repent of that we thank you for Jesus we thank you that he is the true rest giver that he has done all that is needed to offer us that free and true rest and we pray Lord that you'd help us to come to him and to simply trust, trust in him And then to receive what our soul craves for more than anything else. And that is true and lasting and real rest and peace and joy. And we pray it in his name. Amen.